Ladies and gentlemen, Happiness in Darkness proudly presents our 43rd feature presentation, Wonder Woman. Isolated from men and the entire human race, the highly trained pacifist and magnificent Amazon warrior princess Diana of the mystical Themyscira leads a disciplined but peaceful and safe life in the bosom of her fierce tribe of elite warriors. However, Diana's cocooned world will turn upside down when the intrepid American pilot and the first man ever to set foot on the idyllic island, Steve Trevor, reveals a horrible reality as a devastating Great War threatens to consume humankind. At the height of World War I, the unlikely duo embark on a perilous mission to do battle with an all-powerful adversary in an all-out war that will end all wars. Can the extraordinary Wonder Woman defeat Ares, the merciless god of war? Chamba people, and welcome to our 43rd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Wonder Woman. And we're going to discuss the first big screen debut of arguably the biggest and most celebrated female superhero is country singer and superhero movie enthusiast Jessica Lynn. Hey, Jessica, how are you doing? Hey, Nick. Doing great. I'm happy to be here. Oh, very, very happy to have you with us today, Jessica. And on the other hand, we also have a special surprise guest making his return to the podcast, Mr. Patrick Kotenberg. How are you doing, Patrick? Very well, Nick. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, thanks, Patrick, and super happy to have the two of you joining me today on this review. So today we are reviewing Wonder Woman from 2017, directed by Patty Jenkins, whom our listeners might know from directing Monster. It was written by Zack Snyder, Alan Heinberg, and Jason Fuchs. The original score was by Rupert Gregson, and an estimate it cost around $156 million to make, guys, and it made around $858 million at the box office. So definitely quite the success. So before we get into our characters and the board and such, Jessica, as you picked this movie, what made you go to Wonder Woman when I sent you the list of films to choose from? Oh, I think that was, I mean, the ultimate, the ultimate movie for me to um, review as a woman and as someone who, whenever I had to pick a, a superhero when I was playing as a kid, it was always Wonder Woman. So yes, it's natural for me to want to <laughs> want to review this one. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I definitely can't blame you. Definitely was a great choice. So let's get to who it, you know, because you know, let's go to a little bit of a backstory here behind this film, guys. Is you know, this film was in production for quite some time, actually since the late nineties, and tons of various actresses have been attached to the the main role: Sandra Bullock, Mariah Carey at one point. Catherine Zeta-Jones, really? and even Lucy Lawless. Remember Xena, Warrior Princess? She was also she was also apparently tagged for this role, but in the end, it all came to nothing until, of course, uh, now when uh, Patty Jenkins got to direct and Gal Gadot was chosen as the role. So let's get to who eventually did play our hero and who brought Wonder Woman to the big screen since, of, of course, the memorable portrayal of Linda Carter in the TV series of the mid-70s, Gal Gadot, as a Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, whom our listeners might know from Fast and Furious. I loved her as the voice of Shank in the in the Pixar film, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, so let's start with you, Jessica. When it came to this on-screen version of Wonder Woman, what did you think of what Gal Gadot brought and uh, the character of Wonder Woman in this film? Oh, I think she was everything that Linda Carter was and more. <laughs> she is, and from what I understand behind the scenes, she is a true real life Wonder Woman. Not only does she do martial arts and, and you know, just is badass um, in real life, but also just from what I understand, a good and true person. So that's exactly what you would want from, from a, a real life Wonder Woman. And I think she portrayed her really authentically. She's baffled and confused by mankind, but she's not one to be taken lightly. And she certainly doesn't um, let anybody control her. And I think that's, she did that in a really 
graceful and beautiful way. Um, so yeah, I think she's, she's the perfect Wonder Woman and I can't wait to see, uh, 1984 when that comes out. Oh, you and me both. And what about you, Patrick? You know, I know you are actually a pretty big fan of this film yourself. What did you think of, uh, the Wonder Woman we got on screen? Yeah, I mean, Man of Steel is my favorite superhero movie of all time, but outside of that box, this movie is just so incredible and I can't wait to talk about it and just what gal godot brought to wonder woman i mean she is just the definition of a perfect casting right and um agreed you know in the movie and outside the movie too and she also brought the trench scene which we'll talk about later which is my favorite oh scene yeah to show <laughs> off. it's just so well done Mm. Well, I mean, I know, you know, a lot of people were actually nervous about Gal being cast as, uh, cast as lead. And to be honest, not being a fan of Fast and Furious, this was my only second exposure to the character. As, of course, we had seen it as Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman. But I must say that just like Bruce Wayne in that film, I was completely spellbound by her. You know, not just, of course, for incredible beauty, but as soon as she came on screen, I thought to myself, yes, sir, we have found out Wonder Woman. And... I love that she's an incredible fighter, but like you were mentioning also, Jessica, she does have a heart of gold too, because she's all about justice for all. And we can tell that she's also very headstrong, I would say, and we'll always do things <laughs> her way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we actually see this in the character, I guess, from when she is a child. You know, she very much wants to make the world a better place and is very much desiring to prove herself. I also, you know, like like you were touching up on, I also did love the fish out of water naivete on her part we get when her and Steve do get to London and she's totally taken aback and is wide-eyed by everything she seems. At times, even rightfully scowling at how unenlightened society was at the time when it comes to women. But she, the thing I liked about this film and about also the Patty Jenkins' direction is they don't hit you over the head with the feminism. They make a point, but they don't, you know... It exacerbates yeah. it too much. But she is very much a woman with a mission, I think, and wants to do exactly, you know, everything she can for the good of mankind, is incredibly likable, and I think also earns a lot of respect from everybody, and is definitely becomes one of the boys once they get to know yeah. her. And and they know what, what she's capable of. So just all around a fantastic portrayal. Now, before we actually get to, to our next character here, you you um Patrick, you brought up the scene in the trench. I did want to actually look at that one real quick. Um uh, when it came to that scene, why did that? Do you feel that scene stood out for you so much? Well, I think one of the things that really makes Wonder Woman so powerful, you know, first in the film, right? She's she's incredibly intelligent, but she's she's ignorant. She just doesn't know. And I think Patty Jenkins walked that line so well of not having her come off as dumb. She's just innocent, right? So, and then the other side of Wonder Woman is she's an incredible leader, right? So to have a leader, you first have to have empathy, right? And then you have to have authority. So the trench scenes showed that right away, right? She cared about those people. She refused to not do anything and she stood up and led the way and then people followed her. And that scene just epitomized everything of what's great about Wonder Woman and her incredible leadership. And, and what about you, um, Jessica? Do you have any strong thoughts on that trench scene as well? Yeah, and I, I think it really portrays how strong she knows she is, but they're still looking at her like a normal woman. And and with the eyes of the 1918 or, 18 or whenever this is supposed to be, um, I, I forgot the exact year, but they look at her as a poor defenseless woman because that's how women were looked at at the time yet she she is she is brave enough and strong enough to do something that none of them can and she knows this they don't they're trying to stop her and she just waltzes right out there in no man's land and and takes bullets for them to to you know to progress and like patrick said a true leader has you know shows both authority and 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 you know she she's determined to do what she wants to do, no matter what everybody else is around her is saying. And I think that's part of the charm of Wonder Woman is she's, she's nobody's, she's her own. And she does, she does what's true for her and her heart. And that scene, I think shows that spectacularly. Very well said. I mean, I think it is definitely one of the most memorable ones. And heck, if I could have 
freeze frame that moment where she's taking mm. this barrage of bullets behind her shield. I would just freeze frame made a post around it because it's just it speaks volumes just of what the film is all about, I think. And um and uh, heck, it's just the cinematography. I think this film is just incredible. It's just so, so well done. So though they are not in this movie for long, let's look at the two key figures in Diana's upbringing. Her mom, Hippolyta, for one, played by your fellow Dane, uh, Jessica. Yeah, Connie. <laughs> and of course, we also have her aunt, Antiope, played by Robin Wright. So, of course, you know, as the, the Danish girl here today, uh, Jessica, what did you make of Connie, Connie Nielsen's performance? Oh man, I've been a Connie Nielsen fan since before Gladiator. I mean, she's she's spectacular and has, I mean, she's the perfect mother role for for Wonder Woman because she has the power and the authority and the leadership and but she's also got the mother's worry, right? And she doesn't believe in mankind the way that that um, uh, that Diana does with all doughy eyed and doesn't know any better she's been around enough to see that they don't deserve her. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so, but she's the way that she looks at her and says, I can't stop you is also very revealing in the beginning, mm -hmm. knowing that, that Diana is more than just an Amazonian. She's an actual half God like that. But spoiler, spoiler alert. There we were. <laughs> um, but it, that she's, that she's more than she knows that she is. She's the God killer. And, Mama Connie knows this, right? <laughs> and she's she's uh, she's saying, "I know that I can't stop you." So here, you go with and, my blessing instead, right? Yeah, for sure. And when it comes to her sister Antiope, you know, Robin Wright as Antiope, what did you make of that character? I love Robin Wright. I haven't seen her in many roles uh, since you know she was always along along alongside Sean Penn. Uh, but uh, but she's. Um, She's she's again one of those women. She does what she's gonna do, and she doesn't really listen to the leadership um, because she believes Diana needs to be trained. So we train. She trains her in secret. Again, all these women they are coexisting, but none of them are very good at following orders. <laughs> and and I think I think that's a very beautiful and true way of showing what would actually happen if women were in charge. You know. <laughs> oh, Dukin, that's so, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great that that she has a special connection with Diana and wants to train her and does it even though um, Hippolyta does not agree at all. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, but, but hey, she's like uh, anybody's good aunt is like, your mother won't let you do this, but I will, you know, kind yep, of thing. Exactly. And I, <laughs> and I love that. And what about you, Patrick? What were your thoughts on, on Hippolyta and Antiope? Yeah, both incredible jobs. The, all the Amazons are not way high up my wish list that we get in an Amazon movie. Oh, well, you know, I definitely can't blame you for sure. I mean, because granted, we don't get to spend too much time with these two ladies. But I think, you know, as, as you were also saying, Jessica, I think they're key in possibly understanding Diana's view of the world. Because on one side, of course, we have Hippolyta, who almost doesn't want, like you were saying, her daughter to embrace her Amazondom, if that's a word, as she fears for her safety when it comes to, of course, Ares finding out about her. And she knows that Diana's the god killer, like you were saying. And, and it's not, of course, you know, her, like I like to quote her Dumbo's feather, which is the sword, and which, of course, you know, come, Diana swears by constant because she doesn't know her inherent powers. I kind of like that as well. And I understand her also being incredibly protective of her daughter, but you would think that coming from a race of warriors, she would want her to be raised within the culture. And so that's why I was a little bit, you know, trying to figure that out. But I suppose as being a mom, she just is is very protective of her daughter. Well, I was much more, if, yeah. If, I'm, if I may, I don't think she's protecting her physically. She's protecting her heart. That's what I see Hippolyta doing in in that movie she's not she's not i mean sticks and stones she's not afraid she knows she can handle herself but she knows if she goes out there and meets men the uh, race of men she will be disappointed and no break her heart and i think that's what she's protecting ah so so you that's actually an interesting point so you think she's kind of trying to shield her from being disappointed mm -hmm. within yes by mind, by mind. yeah because i suppose she's been told all these amazing stories and maybe she has you know, a certain idealized version of what man must be like. And so, 
Um, you know, she doesn't want to like, you know, I don't want to break your heart showing you this is exactly how, this is how people behave. So I, that's right. definitely the point. Um, but yeah, I do think both of them love her very much. And you can see that they do have the idea that they're preconceived that mankind does not deserve Diana when she, of course, could be a force for good and somewhat help men see the error of their ways. Because, you know, they almost see humanity as a lost cause, pretty much almost like Ares, which is interesting that Ares and Diana kind of almost do agree on that point, that humanity is almost a lost cause. And we will get to that for sure. So speaking of men, let's get to the first man Diana ever sets eyes on. And for the most part of her comic book life is her partner and lover, Mr. Chris Pine as Captain Steve Trevor who our listeners might know from Star Trek, A Wrinkle in Time, and The Finest Hours. So let's start with you, Patrick. What did you make of our Captain Steve Trevor? He, uh, Chris Pine is just such an incredible actor, and he continued to just do what he does best. He just was amazing on screen. Oh, we are very much so. And what about you, Jessica? What were your thoughts on, on Chris Pine and, and Captain Steve Trevor? Well, I would like for that to be the first picture of mankind I see. he's i agree patrick he's a fantastic actor and and you know nice for on the eyes too so he's uh he's great in the beginning i had a hard time not looking at him and seeing kirk captain kirk because (laughs) i've just gotten so used to him as captain kirk which i think he also does a spectacular job at but after a little while especially with their little scene in the boat um (laughs) <laughs> talking about all these really sensitive subjects that are just completely taboo at the time. Um, he, he kind of like, he softens up in a way that you would never see. And, and I started seeing him as Steve Trevor. Well, I mean, I actually very much like the character of Steve myself. And for a brief moment, I almost got a Pocahontas John Smith Disney feel when she first mm. rescues him. Or even Ariel with Eric. You can tell I've been binge watching Disney Plus. You can tell. That's why. Um, (laughs) At least she didn't sing to him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I I just got that vibe. I mean, it felt very Disney-ish to me, but in a good way. I mean, because unlike the male characters, I do think Steve understands her almost from the get-go. Because usually you can tell he's a very confident guy, but she completely disarms him. And he's often at a loss for words when he's around her. Um, And I also very much bought their relationship. I like how it developed throughout the course of the film. He is very much a leader and is respected by his peers. And I also got that man of action vibe from him. And he's not afraid to sacrifice himself as we do see at movie's end. And I also got quite a few chuckles from seeing him. And when it comes to the Mm -hmm. relationship that blossoms between Diana and, of course, Steve, what were your thoughts on that, Jessica? Did you buy that relationship? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all of it. I, I think I think their dynamic on screen is so it seems so natural. I mean, they just seem like they also had a really good time shooting it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, there's I mean, there's also this kind of it, it reminds me a little bit of, of Peggy and, and the other Steve. Um, it, it reminds me of, of, uh, of uh, it, you know, Agent Carter and the way the way that she and Captain America interact, it reminds me a lot of that dynamic because you can tell that the minute he sees how strong she is, um, he immediately goes, she knows she's going to do whatever she's going to do. And he respects and accepts that and maybe even admires it. I mean, I remember. Uh, uh, I know I'm I'm mixing universes here, DC versus Marvel, and it's really dangerous. But <laughs> I remember I remember a point where somebody said, uh, "Captain to to, uh, to um, in, in Captain America," where they said, "Well, what what would Steve say?" He would say, "Listen to Peggy, <laughs> do what Peggy says," or something like that. And uh, and and I th- I feel like it's the same kind of dynamic we have between um, Steve Trevor and Diana. So. They, they definitely are complete equals and treat each other as such, even after the first dancing around is over. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you with that. And what about you, Patrick? I mean, were you a fan of the uh, Diana-Steve Trevor relationship? Yeah, I mean, watching on screen, I got to imagine when these two actors, right, and they did a, um, a chemistry test, they both just aced it right off the get-go. And they said, <laughs> bingo. I mean, I can't imagine anything else. But, I mean, Diana... You know, uh, was such a just a great hero, and Chris Pine was her guide, and yet they they built such a good chemistry and love for each other 
over you know over a short time really when you look at the minutes of a movie so they it's just a plus right mm. Uh, well, very much so. Definitely a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I guess we all, we all very much love that for sure. And so we, of course, can't mention another actress that I absolutely love who's in this film. Is actually Diana's best friend in the comics. Though she didn't get as much screen time as I wish she, she could have. Lucy Davis as Etta Candy. <laughs> so sounds like you're a fan of hers too, Jessica. <laughs> oh, I'm a big, big fan. Big fan. She's, she was the best cast. Uh, the the minute like the like they're two sentences into meeting each other, and she said Diana says, "Where I've come from, that's those are uh, that's called slaves." And she's like, oh, "I like her, <laughs> I really <laughs> really like her." <laughs> and that's I mean, she just she has this quirkiness, but um, kind of is, is a little chipper and fun, and um, and she she did aced it. And I I hope we see more of her in the sequel. I really do because she was fantastic <laughs> oh she's amazing i mean the, the the actress lucy davis is just a wonderful actress and she always plays these incredibly lovable characters because uh apart from Shaun of the dead where she was much younger and played a very different role but it, of course for our fans of the chilling adventures of sabrina she is of course the lovable aunt hilda spellman and is very similar to the character of etta candy so folks if you haven't checked out the chilling adventures of sabrina definitely check it out especially even just for lucy davis's performance um and you know seeing how enthusiastic and excited jessica was about this character what were your thoughts on etta candy patrick yeah, you both took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I was just going to bring up how much, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how lovable she was and how well she played, and then bring up um, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina because that show is well worth watching it just for her performance. I mean, she's such a great actress, and I really hope I get to see more of her. Uh, we, I think it, it definitely, he's hoping that when, you know, we do eventually get to watch Wonder Woman 84, there will be a lot more Etta Candy indeed. Um, you know, this character, as I'm sure a lot of fans hoped, completely popped in this film, you know, because her and Diana, like you were saying, Jessica have great chemistry. They become fast friends. And she very much agrees with Diana's forward thinking ideas. And though she maybe, like I said, does not get as much screen time as she possibly could have to establish even more so of a friendship with Diana, like the co like fans of the comics know, I think she was the comedic relief and did also give some levity to the film, but any scene she was in was just fantastic. So yes, more more of, a, of Lucy Davis for sure. So let's get to another great group of folks here, Diana and Steve's brothers in arms and the troop that accompany them to the front, we have, of course, Samir, played by Saeed Tagamaui. We have Charlie, played by Ewan Brenner. And we have Chief Nappy, played by Eugene Braverock. Now, when it came to this unlikely trio, guys, what did you make of them? Let's start with you, Patrick. What do you think of Samir, Charlie, and Chief Nappy? I thought they were a very fun and entertaining um, part of the film. They each had very unique personalities, and they played very well off each other. This is another group that I'd like to see more movies the Amazons, and then this bunch. Uh, they're definitely a great bunch indeed. And, and what about you, Jessica? What did you make of our, of our crazy trio? No, they're great. They're just great. I mean, they, they really put a lot of personality into them as they start unveiling themselves to Diana. The way that uh, Samir says, I, I didn't want to fight a war. I wanted to be an actor. I just had the wrong color. You know, they really they really show that, oh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on right now where we can't all follow our dreams. And and um, when she says to uh, to Charlie, well, who's going to sing for us? You know, they really they really gave them something special aside from the, of course, the skill set they bring to the table as warriors. So I think I think they really they really um, they put a really fun dynamic together with. And become they, again, they also become fast friends, and I I love how they all um, treat Diana as an equal as well. After oh. seeing what she can do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're all incredibly smitten by her. I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't be smitten by her? But they're they're particularly smitten by her, and I, and mm -hmm. I. 
but you know, I like you were saying, I actually love them for all for different reasons. Because just like Diana, I also find myself warming up to all three. And it is kind of almost chilling to think when that comment that you were making about Samir is rings even truer today, you know, seeing what what has recently occurred, oh, yeah. of course, in the outside world. But you know, and that's what I think is wonderful about this film is that it not only addresses the horror of war, but also the prejudices quite a few folks suffered during the early years of the 20th century and sadly still today. And when it comes to Samir, you know, the man is incredibly charismatic and we can see why he makes a perfect spy over, say, a soldier. Because, of course, being a trained actor, he not only speaks multiple languages, and I love the language battle between Diana oh, and Samir. that's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, of course, she has to put one on him and sort of, you know, recite something in ancient Greek. And so he's like, OK, I'm done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he was he was a wonderful, wonderful um, character. Ewan Brenner. Now, he was an interesting one because when I saw him, I was like, wait a minute. One of Spud's ancestors fought in the First World War next to Wonder Woman. Because I, I, of course, was a big fan of train spotting, And Ewan Brenner has quite a memorable um performance in that yeah, in that film as, as Spud and so I'm like as you were talking about you know kind of different universes maybe this is one of Spud's ancestors who knows <laughs> but uh, it all ties together <laughs> yeah it, it definitely it definitely does I mean he's very he's a very light-hearted character but we do get glimpses into the horrors of shell shock that you know these poor men at the front faced and I think we see that even more so through Charlie because the fact that he constantly has nightmares and the fact that he may almost be trying to numb the pain with alcohol. So I, I think that was also great commentary. Once again, very subtle without hitting you over the head with it. But it was very it was very well done. And he just makes you laugh also as well. Stunning performance from you and Brenner. And the most serious of the bunch, Chief Nappy was an interesting one because Brave, Brave Rock actually had several problems with, Jen with uh, Patty Jenkins over how his character would be represented because being a Native American, he didn't want to play into the stereotypes. And so he wanted to just be known as Chief. And, you know, and Jenkins was very open about that to him and stuff. So I, I love they were very respectful about his wishes, being a Native American himself. And it was just such an interesting portrayal. And of course, we also get a criticism on the horrors that the Native Americans suffered at the hands of the settlers. Though I also like the fact that the chief doesn't hold this against the others. He comments on it, but he doesn't let it linger. And I kind of like that too. So it was, there were, it was, there were great things coming from these three for sure. So as we've looked at our heroes, guys, let's get to the villainous side of the table. Starting with a recurring and well-known villain to Wonder Woman comic book readers, Elena Anaya as Dr. Isabel Maru, Dr. Poison. So let's start with you, Jessica. What did you think of our Dr. Poison and, should we say, female baddie? Oh, uh, she's a force to be reckoned with, uh, with as well. When, when Steve tries to con her into talking to him, she immediately catches on. And so she's, uh, she's the brains of the operation and, and, um, um, Ludendorff is the brawn, right? She's mm -hmm. the one who feels like she can save Germany with what she has. But then at the same time, she really is not doing it for the fatherland. She's doing it for her own sadistic pleasure, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and she, and they, they do, um, have a little spot where they show how she was beautiful once. Mm -hmm. And now she has this de defaced, scarred mm -hmm. face. And, yeah. and uh, I, I'm not really sure what they're trying to say with that, except maybe they're trying to hint at that she was different once. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the, because otherwise in a, in a, you know, full on uh, female, you know, feminine power movie, looks wouldn't matter. Right. <laughs> so uh, I think they're trying to show that she maybe has been she was different once and now she's scarred also on the inside. Um, but she's definitely, oh, I mean, the the stuff that she takes pleasure in in creating. I mean, perfect villain. Ugh. <laughs> very much so very much it almost puts the guys to shame i would say when it comes to how yes. evil and sadistic she is uh what about you patrick were you familiar with the character of dr poison and what did you think of the movie version we got uh yeah i really she's been in a lot of wonder woman comics you know which i'm sure we'll talk about at the end and uh, i did not know the actress i was uh going through her profile as you guys were talking i don't think i've seen anything else that she was in but she was 
she did such a good job of being um, evil, and uh, and I agree to that. She just she seemed like she just wanted to hurt people, and I think um, you're right in that her scar was not just on her face; it was also in her heart, and um, and so she, her willingness. I think even without war, just to want to create stuff that are destructive made her such a great villain to hate. Oh, oh yeah, she's very much your sadistic villain. I actually proudly own a Dr. Poison Funko Pop, which always gives me the creeps whenever I pass her by, but she's there. Um, but, she, <laughs> but she's very much your sadistic villain, like you were both saying, who completely delights in causing harm. And interestingly, Elena actually researched Fritz Haber, who is the scientist who created mustard gas, because she is so invested in her evil work that we can tell that she has barely any interpersonal relationships and comes off as incredibly sociopathic and antisocial, which does fit the character to a T as being fully and completely focused on wanting to do basically nothing all day and then find new and improved ways to murder people. And, you know, I guess kudos for being so passionate about what you do. But, um, uh, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that, that's what she basically... But interestingly, aside from the brief talk that she has with Steve Trevor that you were mentioning, Jessica, the only close relationship that she might have with anybody is General Ludendorff. I mean, to whom we can tell she isn't subservient to, but he's like the only man who will pretty much give her the time of day. And she always seems very excited to show him her latest creations. It's almost like the supervillain with the mad scientist kind of thing. It kind of gave me, once again, to use another sort of odd one, um, the relationship between Gru in Despicable Me and Dr. Nefario. For some very strange reason, yes. I, I got that vibe that she's <laughs> his Dr. Nefario. Um, but yeah, they complement each other very well and definitely a wonderful, wonderful portrayal. And speaking of the other half of this odd relationship, let's look at Dr. Poison's partner in crime, the faux Aries, if you will, Danny Houston, of course, as General Ludendorff, who our listeners might know from The Aviator, The Constant Gardener, American Horror Story, and many more. So let's start with you, Patrick. What did you make of General Ludendorff? Yeah, another great villain too, and he was Striker in um, Wolverine too. So yes. um, some comic book fans might know him from that too. But he again was just he was he was the the muscle of the the um, of the with him and um, Doctor Poison, right? And when they locked the generals in the room, and then they said, "Oh well, that mask won't help them," and they both giggle, you know, over over destroying people. I mean, it's. It was, he was just a yin to her yang, and they, they made such a evil duo together. Oh, agreed. And one, what about you, Jessica? What did you think of uh, of this ver of this version of a General Ludendorff, and of course the portrayal by Danny Houston? Yeah, he, he definitely pulled that off. Uh, I, I love him as Ludendorff. He also portrays that root evil. I mean, Diana mistakes him for Ares to begin with because he is this really stereotypical man uh who like evil man who just wants to take over the world and we all know that you know you see an a german in the in that male in that role we all think of hitler right because that's the that's the for to me that's the closest he comes and so it's like yeah that is just the evilest of evil we could possibly portray and of course she's gonna go think that's aries um yeah but he, he does a great job. And I think, you know, had it been in our day, I think maybe uh, D uh, Dr. Poison would have been an, a villain fully in her own right. But she needs uh, a male counterpart in this day, in that time, because otherwise nobody will listen to her. She's cut, He's her mediator between the men in charge and so that she can do her passion. Right. Mm -hmm. Very, very well said. Yeah, I guess it definitely makes makes sense for sure. I mean, he is very much like you were saying, his your run-of-the-mill, villainous, ruthless military leader who is like so absorbed with his own narrative that what he's doing, he actually sees it as being good for the world. Because um, mm -hmm. like many, you know, he the, the kind of backstory is he did lose his son on the battlefield and we can tell that he has, it has scarred him quite emotionally as an opposite to Dr. Poison who carries her scars on the outside. I think... Had we not had the reveal of there even being an Ares in this film, he very much represents, like you were both saying, what our idea of war personified could be. And 
You know what? It's funny. I was almost hoping that we never got Ares and that he was the personification of everything bad that Diana is opposed to. As I think partly that this is what Patty Jenkins was going for. And so I was almost like, I'd rather not have a God of War. Give us this and let it be the way it is, because this is a perfect representation of the, everything that is bad about war. As you know, the man he thinks love is so naive and a stupid notion, and he feels that humanity's natural status is being at war with itself. And also, for those who wonder, General Ludendorff actually did exist and was no. just as much he was just as much a piece of nasty piece of work as this version. And he was actually, of course, a big supporter of Hitler, no surprise, which is probably why I'm sure a lot of our listeners like you, uh, of course, have just got a Nazi vibe from this man. His, his views are very much reminiscent of what would then go on to form a big part of the National Socialist ideology. He was in the First World War, but he lived long enough to support also uh, the rising Nazi party after that. So definitely a great, a, a great portrayal indeed. And so we do get to the real McCoy when it comes to, of course, uh, Sir Patrick Morgan, Ares, the God of War, played by Remus Lupin. I'm sorry, David Hewless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, as yes, as folks, I am a huge fan of his portrayal of that character in Harry Potter, and it sounds like Jessica is too. So, yes. <laughs> so Jessica, was it hurtful for you to see our beloved Professor Lupin as a villain? No, I, really, it wasn't. I think he did a beautiful job because we know him as the love, the the you know the the all good except on a full moon Professor Lupin. Um, it was it was um, he he portrayed the good side so well. But I I think I my favorite part of it being Sir Patrick that is actually Aries, the one talking about peace, like that that uh, wolf in sheep's clothing is perfect for the naivety of Diana because she she singles in on the e most evilest things she can find and doesn't even see what's right under her nose. And that is the, the, the person that is assuming to help her is actually the villain, right? So I think, I, th I, I would have also probably preferred there not be an Aries, but if it had to be anyone, this was perfect. Um, the only thing that actually bothered me was the big reveal where he turns into this metal thing, you know, and it controls all the metal or whatever. He's like, he, go he goes all Magneto on us. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think the, cause he's an older man now. And I don't think uh, they CG'd him up to be like that mustache. I just couldn't, <laughs> there's just something about it. I couldn't, I couldn't see him. That's not how I pictured the God Ares in my mind. Um, and when, and I don't think the CG really worked. Um, so that's the only, that's actually the only letdown on Sir Patrick. I loved the idea that you couldn't see it coming. Well, very so. well said. And from one Sir Patrick to our, our resident Patrick here. Sir Patrick. <laughs> so Patrick, what did you actually make of, uh, of the character of Ares? Yeah, he he was a, a great villain, and you look at a lot of like criminal villains. They never see themselves as villains. They always see themselves as you know being someone to inspire to or look up to, or if you could be in my shoes or you know see things from where I'm at. You know this this has to be done the greater good, and and it takes someone like Diana to come up and say no. And I thought they did that part very well. On the weaker side, as you guys pointed out, when I hear people criticize the film, it's this part of Act 3 that they criticize the most. And I think there's some fairness to that, but also uh, his armor was very uh, very true to the comics, and maybe how he got it could have been a little different. I don't know, but <laughs> the movie was so strong overall that I was willing to just overlook it and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, same here. And uh, you know what I really did love about uh, Sir Patrick is that he he says, I whisper in their ears and I give them inspiration, but I don't make them use them. You know, he's so he's the true devil. Like, that's what we always hear about the devil is like, I don't I just, you know, give them the nudge, but they have to take the step or they have to. So it's like, I love the way that he's like, still like, it's not me, it's men. That's look how horrible they are. But he's still there nudging them and whispering and, and giving them inspiration. So I think that like, 
uh, devilish nature of his just makes him even eviler, <laughs> right? Oh, yes, because he's like, you know, I didn't do anything. You know, I'm not like destroying the world. I simply kind of put things there and then you kind of it's up to men who, who do you do the, the evil things they do with what I tell them. Um, so it was and, and I definitely agree with you also, Jessica, when you mentioned the fact of almost throwing us off the scent as well as Diana being thrown off the scent with his human disguise as Sir Patrick Morgan, because like you were saying, he's one of the few in the room actually advocating for peace and wanting the fighting to end. And he actually says this quite a few times, not to mention he's also the one who finances Steve Trevor's mission with Diana. So I'm like, OK, a very, very, very uh, you know, subtle and clever. But I suppose the more clever of our viewers may have seen that Ludendorff was a decoy for us. I didn't, but I'm sure there are folks who, you know, who, who might have seen it. Unless, of course, you had gone ahead and read up on the credits and such, which I didn't do at this time, as I wanted everything to be a surprise when it came to viewing experience. And I tend to usually do that with any big movie or show that I'm watching, so I don't get anything spoiled. But when it came to the version of Ares, I very much enjoy how he was portrayed. He is a man with a vision, and he feels completely blameless, as we were saying, as the devil on mankind's shoulder. And... You know, he his ultimate goal, because he actually tells Dan, is just a world without people, I guess. Because he's like, you know, if, if humanity didn't exist, we would be in a paradise. And he actually shows Diana visions of what might be if mankind were not around or if they just destroyed each other. And the only problem I did have with his depiction, or rather how Diana defeats him, is her power level. And I think this caused big problems for the, for the uh, DC Extended Universe, as... We see that she unlocks her potential, almost like Captain Marvel in the MCU, as you could almost retroactively think that if she's able to dispatch a god with such ease, somebody like Steppenwolf would be a walk in the park. I'm looking at you, Justice League. So I'm just saying, it seems to do. Didn't you guys think that maybe, because I, I mean, I don't know if you, if we, boy, I know you have, Patrick, but I don't know if, if uh, Jessica, you've seen Justice League. Um, but did you think that she might, maybe was a little bit overpowered and it would be a problem later on to kind of depower her? Um, I think she's supposed to be, the way that I saw it in Justice League, and now it's been a little while, so um, I may remember it differently. But I feel like the biggest thing with Justice League was that she's supposed to be the match for the Man of Steel. Because mm -hmm. she is a god. I mean, he's an alien, she's a god. There we go. And, um, and not in any way, like, she's supposed to be way more powerful than Bruce Wayne, like that way more powerful than. Oh, yes. So, I mean, it's so, so I think, I think they, as I like the way they put her in there as an equal to Superman. Like, I think that was fantastic. I think she does it way better than Supergirl <laughs> or, or any other, or any other equals that we've seen, uh, try to portray because she's her own. She doesn't you know wear the same crest on her chest or anything like that like that's she's uh she's uh, from a completely different world and just as powerful as the kryptonians i don't think they i, I don't think they needed to power her down at all and i don't think they did hmm. no because i just wonder you know in later movies because you really have to throw something big at her and i hope they do because like i said if you give them kind of a petty villain, you know, she's just gonna give him two smacks and, 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 the, and the, 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 you know, the villain is dispatched. So I hope we do get equally powerful villains. That's my only concern as it were, yeah. which was kind of like my concern with Captain Marvel, who now has you know, incredible powers and could basically have, you know, destroyed Thanos by herself. But that's a conversation for another time. Um, but yeah, when, don't get me started <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. when, when it comes to you, Patrick, I mean, what were your thoughts on the display of Wonder Woman's powers? And were you happy with what we got in the power level world? She is incredibly powerful, right? And she can go toe to toe with Superman. She's one of the few people in either universe that can. Um, she... She has a restraint to her, but she's also willing to kill. And that's that's a line that Superman has been known not to cross. You know, man, is, there has been exceptions, man, is still, right? But um, I, it's a, it's, it's a fun debate. If you look at, like, Marvel and DC, right, is, uh, DC is a lot more gods among men, whereas Marvel, they intentionally toned down their heroes so they didn't have to write such strong villains 
as you're pointing out, where uh, you put Wonder Woman and Flash and Superman in a room, I mean, who do you throw up against them? And so that that is that is a good thing to have such power, but it also makes it tougher to write, which is why Stan Lee uh, held back. So it's it's a great conversation to have. Oh, yes, yes. For sure. We we should definitely have one of those at one point indeed. So guys, any final thoughts on the movie before we get to ratings? Um We good? Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, we really covered a lot. Okay. I'm, I'm uh I, I I do like the fact that we just one thing was was sure. her like it it starts and it ends in present time. And with her recovering that photograph. And um, I love that they portray, you know, in so simple terms that she's also immortal and, and that she has found her purpose in life. She knows why she's there now, but, and then, and then, you know, we get the story of how she became who she is. Um, I really, yeah, I really thought that, that it was, it was just generally well done telling her story and her, you know, her, her rise to fame and power. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so let's get to ratings here, folks. Where does this movie rate for you on a scale of 1 to 10? Let's start with you, Patrick. What do you give this film? Yeah, I give this a 9, and it would be my favorite all-time movie if it wasn't for Man of Steel as far as comics go. This movie is just so good. It's almost 1A and 1B. What Great. And what about you, Jessica? What do you give this film? Solid 9.8. It's it's up there. I I uh, I'll I'll rewatch this movie over and over. Like it it just is so well done. And I think also you know being a woman, we don't have as many superhero women to choose from. And she is definitely my favorite. She she trumps uh, Captain Marvel by a long <laughs> shot. I think. Um, so so yeah, I, it, I it's it's up there. I think the only thing that I would that takes it down from a ten is um is the you know you were mentioning the disney moments the 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 couple of little disney moments that were in there um and and i think that's the only thing that takes it away (laughs) but other than that it's a good it's a 9.8 there you go great well it looks like we're pretty much all on the same page because i'm going to give this a 9 out of 10 as it is an absolutely fantastic debut for wonder woman's solo movie series and the fact that it's so layered only adds to how good it is and definitely kudos to patty jenkins whose work i look forward to following with interest in the future and i definitely hope she continues to get the chance to show what an incredible director she is so let's get to reading recommendations here folks did either of you you know uh, have any any wonder woman comic book stories you would like to suggest to our listeners you go patrick i'm not a big uh i don't i don't read much (laughs) (laughs) yeah i got you well uh the there's been so many iterations of Wonder Woman and so many places to start. If I had to pick one, I would say start with George Perez's run because that's what really rejuvenized her and brought her to the Wonder Woman that we know today. And uh, so I would start with that run and then go from there. Well, definitely that's a great choice because Gods and Mortals, written by George Perez and Len Wein, is a fantastic, fantastic series of comics indeed. I will pair that up with uh, Stoned, written by Greg Rucker and art by Drew Johnson. Also known as the Eyes of the Gorgon, Stoned sees Wonder Woman take on the deadly Gorgon Medusa. After two millennia, Medusa is back and out for revenge against the goddess Athena for instigating in in the Gorgon's death. In order to do that, she goes after Athena's champion, guess who, Wonder Woman, and after multiple attempts on her life, you know, they face off in a big battle to the death. So definitely check out Wonder Woman Stoned, written by Greg Rucker, art by Drew Johnson, and that collects Wonder Woman from 87, issues 206 to 210. Also, I would suggest, as Patrick mentioned him, another George Perez story, Chalk Drawings, written by George Perez and Mindy Newell, art by Jill Thompson. Due to its subject matter, Chalk Drawings is the most confronting Wonder Woman story ever because it deals with the very serious issue of teen suicide with the issue it's structured into different periods from before the event afterwards and the and the funeral we see wonder woman trying to make sense of the whole thing while also being an emotional support to the young vanessa who's the friend of the suicide victim it's a beautiful story it's very moving and i definitely think 
folks, you should check it out. That's Chalk Drawings, and that's told in Wonder Woman, also from 87, issue 46. Okay, guys, so we selflessly promoted stories. Let's get to shameless self-promotion. When it comes to you and what you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Let's start with you, Jessica. Um, all right. Well, I'm, uh, I don't do anything with superheroes on a day-to-day basis, but I do create country music, which is completely off point. Um, but <laughs> you but can it's find an art in at, itself. <laughs> it is an art for sure. Um, you can find me at jessica-lynn.com or on uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Jessica Lynn and E music. And, uh, and you can listen to some country music while you watch some or read your comics. There we go. <laughs> a fantastic pairing indeed and what about you patrick where can folks find you on the interwebs uh well i'm also i've i'm not so much into the geek world anymore but they can search my name patrick kotenberg and i've come up just about anywhere though if you're looking for like comics and that kind of stuff it, it won't be in that nature also i can just picture um superman driving down the road in kansas listening to country music so <laughs> <laughs> He is from Kansas. That's true. (laughs) Exactly. So I have a feeling Superman does listen to Jessica Lynn, as everybody should be listening to (laughs) Jessica Lynn, indeed. So, of course, if you want to be like Jessica and Patrick and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, folks, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmo.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to us with those also at happinessanddarknesshow at gmo.com, and we'll read them out here on the show. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Hidden Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on SoundCloud.com slash Whiskey and Cigarettes, or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Happiness in Darkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with, or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. And speaking of things to come, next week we'll be joined by Reinaldo Gismundo to discuss the 2015 Peyton Reed film, Ant-Man. That said, when it comes to you, Jessica, and to you, Patrick, I want to once again thank you so, so much for your time, and I definitely look forward to having you back here on Happiness in Darkness. Oh, I would love to. Thanks so much for for uh, having me, and it was really fun. Maybe uh, you'll consider having me back for the 1984. I mean, that would be fantastic. <laughs> consider it done, and thank you also again uh, yeah. for your time, Patrick. Always great having you on the podcast. Yeah, it was great to talk to you again, and look forward to the future. Great. We definitely look forward to it, too. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Reynaldo and Ant-Man. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. I'm so young and you're so old. This, my darling, I've been told. I don't care just what they say, cause forever I will pray. You and I, we will be as free as the birds up in the trees. See you.